We're excited that you're here. I'm excited that you're here, and I'm glad that you came back, okay? Because last week, for those who are here, hopefully you're all here, at least you got a chance to listen to it, we started a new series called I Want to Know. And in this series, what we're doing is talking about four common questions that I hear all the time and that I'm sure that you hear. And if we're honest, a lot of us probably ask these questions as well. And I'm not convinced that we're getting the right answers. I'm not convinced that we're saying the right things or hearing the right things. So that's why we're digging into this topic here during this series. And something I said last week, I prefaced this series by saying that I'm hoping today is a continuation of a conversation. Okay, and it's a conversation that we started last week, and that actually is going to take us four weeks to cover. Because, as I said last week, when, when all this past year, okay, as the video said, it's been 455 days since we were at the well together on a Sunday. And you know what happens to me during 455 days where I don't get to preach on a Sunday? I have a lot to say. So I prepared a three-hour sermon. But the problem is the people in the back only give me 40 minutes, and they tell me that I know, 40 minutes is ridiculous. Who can communicate anything in only 40 minutes? They told me that I have only 40 minutes. After 40 minutes, the sprinklers go on or something like that. So I got to finish after 40 minutes or they're going to throw me out of here. So because of that, I took my three-hour sermon and we're going to divide it into four weeks. But it's really one message. It's one conversation. So why I'm saying that is because if you missed last week, then please make sure after we finish, not while I'm speaking, okay, but after we finish, go onto YouTube and make sure that you watch part one of the series because that's where I answered this question, which is why should I go to church if there are so many bad Christians? And I'm sure you've heard that and I'm sure you've asked that and we introduced this, this topic last week. And the main idea that I talked about last week is that I think people are leaving church and leaving God for the wrong reasons, and especially after this year of the pandemic, okay? I showed you guys that statistic last week that said that 52% of people who call themselves active churchgoers, 52% of people who call themselves active churchgoers said they're going to return to in-person services after the pandemic is done. That means 48% of people who were active and regular in church before the pandemic. The problem is they listened to us, and for the past year we've been telling them, don't go to church, don't go to church, stay at home, stay at home. And the problem is they listened, and they aren't ready to come back. And I think, in my opinion, that I think so many people are leaving God and leaving church for the wrong reason. I think if you don't know why you're coming, then it becomes very easy that so-and-so offended me, so I'm never going back there. Or so-and-so's a hypocrite, so I'm not going back there. I don't think people are leaving for the right reason. I think people have this wrong idea of what it is they're coming for. Talked about this last week. And I talked about how there's, there's these false gods that are out there. Okay, so if you believe in boyfriend God, as I talked about last week, who's all emotions, or you believe in bodyguard God, that was what you were taught, that God is just there to protect the good and punish the bad, and then all of a sudden you had bad happen to you, so you're like, why would I be with a God who thinks I'm bad? Or you were taught anti-science God who tells you that you have to deny everything that you've ever been taught. Or you believed in guilt God, okay, guilt God whose job is to make you feel guilty and you left that God, I would say congratulations. Your life is probably a lot better leaving that God. But that's not the right God. And instead of rushing, because that's what we usually do when someone says, I'm never going back to church or I'm, I don't believe in God, we rush to defend God. What I think we need to do is take a step back and listen to who it is that person thinks they're leaving and what it is that person thinks that they're leaving. Because I think oftentimes they're leaving something that, to be honest, I'd leave too. If that's, what, if that's, if that's the true God, I would leave that God as well. 
goal in this series is to reverse that, is to discuss good questions that I think people are getting bad answers to. I think a lot of people out there, okay, and like Susan said, our own children, if we have teenage children, okay, people that we work with, and again, I'm saying that stuff, but I'm honest, it's oftentimes ourselves. We are asking good reality-based questions. Why this? And oftentimes the answer is faith-based or is, if we look at it this way, fairy tale based I'm asking, why did this happen? And what I'm getting is, just trust, just believe, and you'll live happily ever after in the end. And oftentimes for people, that's simply just not good enough. And today, like I said earlier, today's question might be the most common question that is asked of Christianity that in Christianity, which is, how do I know Christianity is the right religion? I won't do a show of hands. How many people have asked themselves this question? We all have, okay? And we've all heard it. And if we're honest, we're not sure that we have a good answer. Now, let me throw it out to you, and I want you to ask yourself this question. If I came to you, or your coworker came to you, or your children came to you and said, how do you know Christianity is the right religion? What would you say? How would you answer that question? I think that most of us would start talking about a book. I say, how do you know my religion is right and that person's religion is wrong? That person's Jewish, that person's Islam, or that person's Mormon, or that's Jehovah's Witness. How do we know Christianity is right and they're wrong? Most of us rush to a book. Well, it's because we know the Bible is true. And we know the Bible is the Word of God. And we know the Bible is accurate. And we know the Bible was written over thousands of years by many different authors, but one same story. And the prophecies in the Bible and the accuracy of the Bible versus their book was written in the year whatever by this whatever. And we rush to talking about a book. Our book is better than their book. Now, I'm going to warn you right up front. Okay? I told you this is a conversation. And I need a full three hours. I'm only getting a segment here today. So I'm going to say some stuff today that I know if you were raised in church, I'm going to say some stuff that might traumatize you. Stick with me till the end. Just stick with me. Like I said last week, I don't care if you hate me at the end of the conversation, but don't hate me in the beginning. Let me, let me finish what I have to say, and it's only three hours, like I said. I would say in our rush, in our haste to say my book is more accurate than their book, that the Bible is accurate and their book is not accurate, I think we might be missing the big picture. And the big picture is this, is the foundation of our faith is not the Bible. The foundation of our faith is Jesus Christ. I love the Bible. I read the Bible every day. I tell my kids they have to read it. I memorize it. I have verses. If you come see my office, I have verses and post-its all over the place. So I'm not against the Bible. I'm not saying anything bad about it. I love the Bible. Everywhere I go, B-I-B-L-E. Now that's the book for me, okay? So I'm all about the Bible. However, again, sometimes in an effort to respond back, we say things without thinking about the implications of it. Many of us were taught... Finish this sentence for me. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Sounds nice. I think it's theologically inaccurate. Jesus loves me not because the Bible tells me so. 
The Bible tells me so because Jesus loves me. Do you see the difference? It's not that I know he loves me because it says so in the Bible, and because the Bible said it, it has to be true. Jesus loved me way before the Bible was written. And the Bible simply documents Jesus' love for me and talks about it and explains different aspects of it. But don't tell me that Jesus loves me because the Bible tells me so. I will tell you the Bible says so because Jesus loves me. I know I'm, I'm messing with your heads right here today, but stick with me right here. Christianity is not based on a book. Christianity is based on a person and an event. Christianity is not based on a book. It's based on a person and an event. Again, we were taught growing up, the Bible is the inerrant, infallible, perfect word of God, inspired by God. And unfortunately, some of us took that in a wrong direction. There's something called letter inspiration. You may have heard this term before. If not, don't worry, I'll explain what it means. Letter inspiration, which means that every letter is inspired by God. It's as if God took Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He took over their hand, and he told them exactly what to write, and he wrote it for them, that every letter of the Bible is inspired by God. And what I'm here to tell you is, that's never been our teaching. That's never been our faith. That's other religions. And it sounds so good. So we're like, yeah, that's us too. Every letter. That's not us. That's other religions who believe that God took over a person's body in their mind and he wrote an A and then a B and then a C and then a D. The problem with that, if that's what you believe, you create a false alternative. You make it that there's two options. Either every single letter of the Bible is true and makes sense and is perfect, or the whole thing falls apart. Either it's 100% or it's 0% and there can be nothing in between. And then the problem with that is you were taught that growing up, your friends were taught that, and this is the story of a lot of people, by the way. They were taught that every single letter and everything is accurate and everything is perfect and everything is inspired by God. Then they went to college and a professor started asking them questions. And they made them ask themselves questions. And they started to think to themselves, yeah, how did all those animals fit on that boat? Yeah, how is it that the walls of Jericho fell like that? Was there really a flood? And they start asking themselves good questions. These are not bad questions. We should encourage our people to ask questions. God is not against questions. And there's a difference between asking a question and being questioned. Parents, you need to know the difference because there's a big difference. And people started asking questions and they came home to their parents. And what do their parents tell them? How do their parents answer the question? That's what it says in the Bible, okay? Don't ask questions. The Bible says this, don't ask questions. So then what did the kid leave with? The kid left by thinking himself is either I have to have a brain or I have faith, but I can't have both. And we created a false alternative for people. Because people think if your entire faith is based on a book and is based on every letter of that book, and then I question a piece of that book, and I'm not even saying disprove, or I'm, not, I'm, not saying, I'm just saying question the book, then the whole thing falls apart. And that's how, unfortunately, the story of many people. What I'm here to tell you, good news, orthodoxy is much better. Orthodoxy has a much better story, a much stronger story, a much stronger foundation, because in orthodoxy, it has never been our teaching that our faith is based on a book, that our faith is based on this idea of, like I said, letter inspiration, that every single letter was inspired by God. Like I said, that's never been the teaching of the Orthodox Church. What our teaching is, 
the ancient version of Christianity, that teaching is a modern version of Christianity, which, like I said, is really done as a response to try to respond back to people who are attacking. The ancient version of Christianity is much stronger, much more enduring, much more lasting from generation to generation to generation. And that is this, that our faith is not based on the accuracy of Noah and how he fit the animals in the boat. Our faith is not based on how did the flood cover the earth. Our faith is based on a person and an event. And in fact, the book wasn't even part of the story of the first 300 years of Christianity, which we would say is the golden era of Christianity. The book, not what, not... Early, I said the book was in the foundation. I'm saying the book wasn't even in the story during the strongest time of Christianity. Question. Did the Bible lead to Christianity? Or did Christianity lead to the Bible? Did the Bible lead to Christianity? Or did Christianity lead to the Bible? I see some puzzled looks on your faces. Well, let me ask you a different question about a different topic. I have a birth certificate. You have a birth certificate. Did the birth certificate lead to my birth? Like, does the birth certificate bring me into existence? Or does it simply document an event that took place days before? The birth certificate is to the person as the Bible is to Christ. It doesn't give birth to Christ or to Christianity or to our faith. It simply documents what has already taken place. Let's go timeline here so we understand. Jesus was born... We're going to go just for round numbers and go in the year zero, okay, between B.C. and A.D., but scholars say it's most likely like 3 B.C. or 4 B.C., but let's just go zero to keep it accurate, or just to keep it simple, sorry. Jesus is born in zero, died roughly in the year 33 A.D. After he died, he rose from the dead on the third day, we know that, ascended up into heaven 40 days later, 10 days later, Holy Spirit came, boom, the church started all over the place. Started in Jerusalem, but it hit the streets and it went left, right, north, south, east, west, and all to the ends of the earth. Acts chapter 2 tells us that on the day of Pentecost, the 50th day, St. Peter stood up and said, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know. That's an important phrase. He stood up on the 50th day and said, Jesus, who you know died, who you know rose. You know, you know, John, you were there. Joe, you saw him walking around. Sarah, you had breakfast with him. Diana, you were there last week. So you know that an event took place. Keeps going. Him you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified, put to death, and God raised up, having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be held by it. Let me summarize what St. Peter is saying. St. Peter is saying, look here, people. Jesus of Nazareth, you all know him, you remember him, he did lots of miracles, some people hated him, some people loved him. Bottom line is, you crucified him. God raised him. You were all witnesses, you were there, you saw it, you ate, you drank, you were all there. And so were we. Now it's time to move past all that mess, say I'm sorry for crucifying him, and to believe that he is who he said that he is. Notice, nowhere in Peter's sermon that was very successful on the day of Pentecost, led to 3,000 people baptized. Nowhere does he talk about, and don't forget, Noah got all those animals in the ark. Trust me. 
Nowhere in there does he say, and trust me, the flood is exactly as it says. He doesn't say any of that stuff because that's not the centerpiece. The centerpiece was Jesus, whom you killed, God raised, and that's the story of Christianity and the birth of Christianity. And with just that, with no Bible, with no Bible, with no New Testament, the church did what? Acts chapter 17, verse 6. They dragged Jason and some of the brethren and the rulers of the city, crying out, These who have turned the world upside down have come here too. With no Bible, with no New Testament, with, no, with nothing. They turned the world upside down. Why? Because the Bible? Because they went around preaching, Our book is accurate? Because they went around saying, Believe in us because we have prophecies? No. Because we have Jesus, who was born of a virgin, lived sinless, died, buried, rose on the third day, and y'all saw it. And with no technology, and with no communication, and with no internet, with no vehicles, this message about Jesus risen from the dead went to all the ends of the earth, and like this verse says, turned the world upside down. And thousands and thousands of people embraced it and risked their lives to be part of it. Not because of the Bible, but because of Jesus. And when that happened, as it started to spread, certain individuals who were there from the start said, you know what, this movement, which had already gone viral, okay, the movement had already gone viral and was already spreading like wildfire. Certain people said, we need to document this thing because this stuff is, this stuff is good and we need to capture this for future generations and we need to make sure that the, that the message can spread. So certain people like Matthew and Mark and Luke and John and St. Paul and St. Peter, certain ones who were there, eyewitnesses says, we need to write these things down. So Mark spent a lot of time and he wrote it down. He said, boom, this is the story. This is the good news. And I shared it with one person. And that person said, this is good. We need to make copies of this. How'd you make copies in the first century? You went, went to the FedEx or the Kinko's or you, you, you print to, how did you make copies in the, in, in the first century? by hand, a very tedious and long process, but they did it. Why did they, think here for a second, why did they make copies of the Gospels? Why did they take what Mark wrote and make another copy, and what Peter wrote and make several copies? Why? The church didn't make copies because they believed they were inspired. They made copies because they knew they were true. They weren't writing the inspired word of God. I mean, they were, but they didn't know they were. What they were doing was copying it and spreading it because they knew that it was true. It was factual. It was history. It was an event. That's why I say Christianity. In my opinion, okay, I know people may disagree, but you're allowed to disagree with me. I don't see Christianity as a religion. I see it as history. I see it as a historical, like in the bookstore, Christian books should be in the historical section because that's what it is. Religion is, you know, we think and we may and who knows and we ideas. That's great. But Christianity is fact. Jesus of Nazareth, born of a virgin. Jesus lived in this city called Nazareth. Jesus died. Jesus rose from the dead. These are facts. These are history. Okay, these, these, these are not religion. These are facts. And this is where the church is born from. Now, let's talk about these New Testament writings because a lot of people who want to discredit Christianity, okay, will say that the New Testament writings that talk about Jesus' birth 
and talk about Jesus' resurrection and talk about who he was, they're inaccurate. And people will say, you know, there's many variations of them, and so therefore they're conflicting, so these books are inaccurate. That's what people say. With all due respect, okay, if that's what you say, I disagree with you. And I think that if that's what you say, or that's what you think, you are being either one of two things. One, you're being very lazy, or two, you're being illogical and unreasonable. Because, let's start first of all with the date. The New Testament books, all scholars who have no agenda and unbiased, any scholar worth his, worth his weight in anything, will tell you that the Gospels themselves can all be dated, with the exception of John. John is late. We're Matthew, Mark, Luke is what I'm talking about, really. Can be dated to within 30 years of the resurrection of Christ. 30 years of the resurrection of Christ. The epistles, again, other than John, John the Beloved, he wrote much later at the end of the first century, but all of them outside of John. The epistles, even less, 10 to 15 years. Why is that so important? These gospels, which talked about the events of Christ's resurrection, spread, like I said, like wildfire, and people made, made, made copies and everywhere they went. They were based on the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. Would it be possible to sell a book that said Jesus rose from the dead 15 years after you claimed that it happened? Would it be possible to sell that book if it wasn't true? Like, I could understand, like, 100 years from now, Oh, yeah, remember Jesus rose from the dead. And we'd be like, well, none of us was here 100 years ago, so maybe it was true. But I'm talking about writing a book within 10 to 15 years or 30 years max. So what that means is the people who were eyewitnesses, they're still around. Legends don't come up in 30 years. Like when there's a legend that grows, it takes at least one generation to pass and usually two and usually even three because you got to get the people who were there to go away and die. Then you can start a legend. You can, you can start like a, a fictional tale. But the fact that the Gospels were written so early on in the lifetime of witnesses and especially what kind of witnesses? Hostile witnesses who hated Christianity and wanted to do anything they could to disprove it. Yet somehow, in the midst of this hostile witnesses who were still living, Christianity spread like wildfire. Why? Because it was inspired and because people thought it was infallible? No, because it was true. Let me show you a verse. Let me show you a verse from the beginning of the Gospel of Luke. Okay, it's in Luke chapter 3, and you're going to read it, and you're going to say, what's the benefit of this verse? But I want you to see, it's not a spiritual verse that you can meditate on, but I want you to see, as we talk, look at this verse, how far Luke, the evangelist, goes to show the historicity of what it is that he's talking about. Look here in Luke chapter 3. He says, Now in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip tetrarch of Ituria and the region of Trachonitis, and while Lysanias tetrarch of Abilene, while Annas and Caiaphas were high priests. That's not a sentence. That's an introduction to a sentence. So what he is saying is, I'm about to tell you something, and I'm telling you exactly when it took place. In other words, fact check me if you want. Fact check me. Like, the gospel doesn't start by saying, in a galaxy far, far away, in a long, long time ago. That's not what it says. That's not, not fairy tale stuff. It's saying it was exactly this time when exactly so-and-so was here, and you don't believe me? Go ask him. Go ask him. He nails down exactly the time that it took place. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, look what St. Paul says. 
He says, I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures, and that he was seen by, watch now what he says, he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. Do you know what St. Paul is saying? Jesus rose from the dead. He didn't say, trust me because I'm writing the inspired word of God. He's saying, Jesus rose from the dead. Do you know how you know? Go ask Cephas, he was there. Go ask James, he was there. Go ask the apostles, they were there. Go ask the 500 people that he appeared to at the same time. And I heard someone, I read one time in a book, someone was saying that this is a hallucination. Okay, that 500 people, Jesus, it was a hallucination. That's how Jesus appeared. And I read that book, the author was saying, if someone could actually make 500 people have the exact same hallucination at the same time, that's even a greater miracle than the resurrection. If I can make you all have the exact same hallucination in your mind, that's even a greater miracle than the resurrection. So the idea is that fact check me. I got witnesses. He said over 500 witnesses right here. And I did some of the math. If you go to these witnesses right here and you put them, let's say you got a court, okay, and if anyone has ever uh, been to a court and you know, I, I, I never, but I watch the movies, okay, so I, I love lawyer movies, okay, and there's nothing more powerful than when the lawyer says this and the lawyer says this and then the witness stands up there and says, it was him, okay, and that, that one witness and that's it, boom, okay, that's the case closed right there when the witness says, boom. If you brought these 520-something witnesses to come up and testify and you gave each witness 15 minutes to tell their story. If you got eyewitnesses to the resurrection and you brought them up, the 520-something, you gave them each 15 minutes. It's not a long time. Do you know that if we started a court case right now and these 500 witnesses had 15 minutes apiece, we would be here for more than 126 hours. That means we would start the trial today. Hear ye, hear ye, we're all in session right now. And we would be listening to testimony all the rest of today through the night into tomorrow. All Monday into the night into Tuesday. Into Wednesday into Thursday. We would finish sometime around Friday around dinner time. That's when we'd finish the testimony. And you would tell me that you're going to listen to that five days worth of testimony and walk out of there and be like, well, I'm not convinced. And at this point in time, Christianity, no Bible, Christianity was so popular and had spread to all the ends of the earth, despite the persecution of Nero, despite the persecution of Diocletian, despite these horrible things where people tried to erase Christianity. Christianity had spread so far and so wide that even the emperor's mother became a Christian. Constantine's mother was a Christian, risking her own life because at the time, before Constantine, it was illegal to become a Christian. She risked her own life, not because the Bible told her so, but because of the historical event, the truth that Jesus Christ, born, died, rose on the third day. In the year 313, Constantine makes Christianity legal, the Edict of Milan, and he makes Christianity a legal religion. Doesn't quite yet make it the, the religion of the empire. That's a little bit later. But the first step is, it's no longer illegal to be a Christian. And do you know why? Constantine did this. It is a part of history that maybe we kind of brush over, but I think it's significant. Oftentimes, not a, Constantine was a great person. He did something great for Christianity. 
But the idea that Constantine did this move of making Christianity legal for just faith reasons, most scholars will tell you is simply not true. There was political reasons. Do you know what it was? What was his political motivation to make Christianity legal? It's all politics in the end. You know that in the end, right? It's all politics and money. You know what it was? To unify the empire. To unify the empire. Why is that significant? Because here you've got Constantine. And Constantine, Roman. Romans had the Roman gods, the Zeus, or maybe he was the Greek, the, the Roman gods and the Greek gods. These were the, okay, so that's, and these gods did not mess around. Like you did not cross paths with the Roman god. I mean, they smite this thou down. So you did not mess with them. You got the Roman gods, you got the Greek gods. The Egyptians had their gods, so everyone had their gods. And now all of a sudden, here comes Constantine and says, I need to unify my empire. And he looked around and said, what is the most common? What is the most well-spread? What is the one that clearly people are? And the answer was simple. What people had in common was not the Greek gods, not the Roman gods, not their, their tribal gods, but it was Christianity. Because Christianity and the church made its greatest strides in the 300 years before the Bible even existed. Christianity and the church made its greatest strides all the ends of the earth before the Bible even existed. 300 years is a long time. Who was president of America 300 years ago? Was there an America 300 years ago? There was no America 300 years ago. And I'm telling you, in the time that America has come and gone and built itself and gone from whatever to whatever to back to whatever to whatever you opinion of where it's going, I don't care about that. I'm saying in all that time, all that period, Christianity existed that whole period of time without the Bible even in existence, without the New Testament in existence. Yes, they had the Old Testament, but that was not what was spreading the, the Christian faith. Christianity spread not on the foundation of the Bible is true and the Bible is accurate and the Bible is inerrant and the Bible. That's not how Christianity spread. That's not how Christianity was born. Christianity was born on the foundation of Jesus, the person of Jesus Christ and the event of his resurrection from the dead. It wasn't until the year 367 that we even heard this idea of a Bible canon Okay, meaning like these books are inspired and these books are not. The year 367, okay, we're already 300 years past when Christianity started. That's the first time we even hear mention of it. But even, let's be honest, do you know when people started to read the Bible and have the Bible in their hands? It wasn't until the 15th century when you had the printing press. Before that, the Bible was just like a book kept in the church, okay? And some churches had it. The rich churches had it. The poor churches didn't have it, of course. Okay, and you would travel miles and miles to see a copy and maybe... In your lifetime, you would see a copy of the Bible once, maybe twice, if you're very elite. Okay, the richest of the rich had copies of certain books in their homes, but the Bible was not in people's hands until the 15th century at the earliest. Now again, I'm not saying don't read it. I'm not saying don't study it. I'm not saying don't love it. I'm not saying don't memorize it. I'm not saying any of that stuff. But I'm saying it's not the foundation. The foundation is Jesus and his resurrection. Before the Bible was compiled, Christianity had already replaced the pantheon of Roman, barbarian, and most Egyptian gods and become the official religion of the Roman Empire. 
Said another way, people believed Jesus loved them way before the Bible told them so. People believed Jesus loved them because of his person and the event that took place, and the Bible simply documented it later on. Let's say St. Peter was here today. Let's say St. Peter was here today. And here comes St. Peter, and he strolls in, and someone comes who's never heard of Christianity, okay, or doesn't believe, or is an atheist, or is a whatever it is. And they go to St. Peter. Say, St. Peter, you believe in this Christianity thing? You're so uneducated. Don't you know Christianity is for the simple people? Say, you believe in Christianity? You think Noah got all those animals in the ark? Like, come on, do the math. You think the world was covered with a flood? You think Jonah survived in the belly of a whale? How do you think St. Peter would respond? What do you think he'd say? You know what I think he'd say? I think he'd say, man, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know anything about, I've heard stories of Jonah. Okay, I heard these things. I don't know anything you're talking about. But I know this. Is that he lived with us. And we lived with him. And he did stuff that no man did. He proved to us that he is the son of God. He proved it over and over and over. He lived it. And then the bad guys got him. And he kept telling us, this day is going to come. This day is going to come. And we didn't, we didn't understand. And then the day came. And it was so sad. And we cried. And there was darkness for three days, outside and inside. And you don't know what we endured those three days. And then he came back. And as much as the darkness was sad, the joy, because he was back. If you saw what I saw, like I get it, you didn't see it. And you're just listening to your professor so-and-so, or you're reading books, like I get it. But if you saw what I saw, and you went through what I went through, He would say, my faith in Jesus is not based on understanding every story in the Old Testament and understanding why God did this or why God allowed this or how come this was written here and how come this conflicts with this. He's like, I don't get any of that stuff. And I'm sure there's smart people out there who do. But I'll tell you this. I am a follower in Jesus, not because the scriptures and not because the Bible, because I never even saw a copy of the Bible. I wrote one or two epistles of it, but I never even got to saw them framed or published or anything like that. He said, I'm a believer because I lived with him. And I heard him say, I'm going to die and then I'm going to rise. And you know what? When someone predicts their own death and resurrection and they pull it off, you say, bravo, I'm with that guy. And the reason that I'm with him today is because he told me he's coming back. He told me he was going to die, he died. He told me he was going to rise, he rose. He told me he was going to ascend, he ascended. He told me he's coming back. And he told me he's coming back to take me and all those who love his holy name and believe in him. Not who believe in Noah's Ark and can prove how Jonah survived in the scientific way. Not that. But those who love him and believe in him. He said he's coming to take us home. So I'm with him. You believe what you want to believe, but I'm with him. What I hope you take away from today is that for the first 300 years 
minimum of Christianity. The debate was not about a book, whose book is accurate and whose book dates back to and whose book is authentic. That was not the debate. That's a modern thing. Like I said, that's a modern version of Christianity. That is not our version of Christianity. Our version of Christianity has a much stronger and more enduring story. The debate in the first 300 years was not, is a book true, but is he who he says he is? And did he rise from the dead? Matthew? Yes, he did. Mark? I was there. I saw it. Paul, who was hated Christianity and wanted nothing more than to destroy it, says, even I got to admit the truth, that he is who he says he is. Because I was against him, and I was trying to disprove it, and I was trying to kill people, but every time I killed someone, the rest of them didn't get scared. They wouldn't deny it. And you know why they didn't deny it? Because it was true. And I saw him myself as well. There's no explanation for the growth of Christianity if you think the foundation is the Bible. There's no explanation of how Christianity got to where it got. But if you realize that it's all about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, then it makes perfect sense. So what I want to say to you is if you, let's go with if you know someone. Okay, we'll make it easy. If you know someone. I won't say if it's you because it's not us, but you know, it might be us. But you know, That's why we call this series I Want to Know. Like I want to know for a friend. Okay, so for a friend. Okay, for our kids. That's easy. For our kids. For the next generation. If you think that Christianity, if you're struggling with Christianity because you can't accept something in the Bible or it doesn't make sense to you, or like I said, the Jonah or the Noah or the flood, or the, if, if, you, if, if that's what it is for you, let me tell you that Christianity is not based on a book. I love the book, and I'd love to go toe-to-toe and tell you why it is true. But what I'm saying is, if, if you aren't convinced Christianity is not boiled down to a book, Christianity boils down to a person who is the incarnate son of God, who was born of a virgin, died, buried, rose from the dead, and ascended to heaven, and is coming back. And that's what Christianity boils down to. And look what St. Paul says in this verse right here. Romans, oh, sorry, right here, right here. Romans chapter 10, verse 9. And I left a blank, and I want you to help me fill in this blank. He says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that blank, you will be saved. If you confess and if you believe in your heart that what? That the Bible is true? That Moses got two of everyone in the ark? That Jonah survived those three days and we don't know how he did? But if you believe that you will be saved? No, who knows what the verse says. If you believe in your heart that what? That God raised him from the dead. Because that's the linchpin of Christianity. That's the foundation. That's the cornerstone. And if you walked away because something someone told you about the Bible, I hope you would reconsider. If you started to distance yourself because you struggled with something in the Bible, I hope you would reconsider. If you know someone who says, I can never accept because something in the Bible, I hope you would invite them to reconsider. That you know what? That maybe it's okay that they struggle with this. Like sometimes accepting something, it takes a little bit of time. But the linchpin of Christianity... The foundation, the cornerstone, is much stronger than a book and its accuracy. It's based on a person and event, which is our Lord Jesus Christ and his resurrection. He said he was going to die, he died. He said he was going to rise, he rose. He said he was going to ascend, he ascended. And now he's saying he's going to come back to take us with him back to our home and to all who love him and love his holy name. Let's stand together for a prayer.
In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you because our faith is, is built on something so strong and something so enduring. It's lasted 2,000 years, and we know will continue to last all to the end of time and even past that. We thank you, Lord, that you are fulfilled every word that you have spoke and that you've given to us a reason to not just believe in you, but to know that you are who you say you are. We pray, Lord, for those who may be struggling with this, or maybe far, or maybe the devil's playing with their head. We pray, Lord, that you would guide us all to strengthen our faith, Lord, and to be confirmed in our faith until the very end. We ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, with the intercessions and the prayers of all your saints. Hear us as we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory 